Chana understood the interior essence of prayer, that it has to be earnest expression of our emotions. Rote recitation, formulaic statements, words devoid of passion and feeling may embody an oral enunciation, but for prayer it is ultimately the heart and not the mouth that counts the most. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 82, Chana and the Invention of Jewish Prayer. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Around 10 years ago, during the high holiday season, I was struck by a post on the Trepinwitz blog, which reflected as follows, quote, Nearly every year during the Rosh Hashanah holiday, I see or hear something that becomes the memorable thing that stays with me for the rest of the year. This year it happened as I was passing my friend Shmuel's seat on my way out of services. As I passed, I noticed that, rather than using one of the many popular Israeli machzorim, holiday prayer books, or a prayer book from one of the many modern American Jewish publishing houses, he had a tattered copy of the old Birnbaum machzor sitting in front of him. When I asked Shmuel why he was still using the Birnbaum when there were so many other choices out there, he just smiled and began flipping through the threadbare volume in front of him. Every few pages, he stopped and showed me a page with a faint lipstick smudge near the top. I didn't understand what he was trying to show me, and watched as he thumbed past several more pages similarly marked with crimson smudges. After a few moments of enjoying the obvious puzzlement on my face, he explained that this was a machzor from the synagogue in New Jersey where he had grown up. He told me that as a kid in that shul he had watched the old ladies, survivors of Hitler's Europe, praying with their own brand of devotion and occasionally giving the pages a kiss before setting them down on their laps. He explained that he still used the tattered old Birnbaum Machsor instead of one of the many modern choices available in the Jewish bookstores, because it allowed him to spend a few moments of each Rosh Hashanah talking with the long-departed old ladies of his childhood memories. How could he not gain strength from this Machsor, he asked me, when any page turn might reveal some smudged token of old-world reverence for this threadbare volume and the words it contained? Of all the things I saw and heard this year during Rosh Hashanah, this is the one that will stay with me this year. End quote. The story beautifully captures the essence of prayer. Words are enunciated with the lips, but its essence is to be found in the heart. And it is these women's sense of intimacy with the Almighty that we, and here I speak for myself, may lack sometimes today. And the most profound prayer of all in the Bible is that of a wise woman named Hannah. It is from her that so much about prayer is learned. And it is her story that we need, above all, when we pray. As we begin a new biblical book, we are introduced to Hannah or Hannah, a barren woman who desperately desires a child. She journeys with her husband to Shiloh, where the altar and the tabernacle sit. There, Eli, the high priest, leads Israel, as he has done for almost 40 years at the conclusion of the judges' period. Heartbroken, Hannah steals into the tabernacle and prays. She pleads to God for a child. She does so quietly and soulfully, promising the Almighty that if she was given a son, she would dedicate him to serving in God's tabernacle, that her son will effectively be given over to God. Chapter 1, verse 10. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me and not forget thy handmaid, but wilt give thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. What follows next is astonishing. The high priest Eli observes her and thinks that she is drunk. Next verse. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, 
that Ailey marked her mouth. Elchanah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Ailey thought she was drunk, and Ailey said to her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Take not thy handmaid for a worthless woman, for out of the greatness of my complaint and grief have I been speaking. Then Ailey answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition, which thou hast asked of him. Only her lips moved, but her voice could not be heard. Ailey thinks Hannah is drunk because he apparently has never seen anyone else pray in this manner. But how could that be? Did not others come to the tabernacle to privately and personally, quietly pour out their heart before the Almighty? The answer may be, for that age, perhaps not. Perhaps worship in those days was an external performance, public pro forma. But for many of the Israelites of that era, not truly genuine. Hannah understood the interior essence of prayer, that it has to be earnest expression of our emotions. Rote recitation, formulaic statements, words devoid of passion and feeling, may embody an oral enunciation, but for prayer it is ultimately the heart and not the mouth that counts the most. In his Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain gives us a fascinating phrase about insincere prayer. You can't pray a lie, Huck says. This is exactly right. You can say a lie, You can enunciate something that does not correspond to what is within, but you can't pray a lie. Prayer is only prayer insofar as its words are expressing genuine, heartfelt adoration, contrition, and petition before God. But in Hannah's age, such worship for most people did not exist. There was a form of prayer, and it was out loud, perhaps because it was not personal, not heartfelt, superficial. This one woman is credited by Jewish tradition with highlighting in her prayer the interiority of the human being. It is hard to overstate how influential this scene in the book of Samuel is for the future of Judaism, because many of the laws of prayer are learned from this extraordinary woman. The Talmud sees her, Hannah, as the inventor, or perhaps more accurately, the reinventor of what prayer is. In an age when people focused on rote ritual, Hannah understood that true prayer is what the rabbis called avudah shebalev, service of the heart. Hannah's prayer was one of the few true prayers uttered in that biblical period. It was received by God, and she bore a child. She named her son Samuel, Shmuel, meaning Mehashem Sha'altiv, I asked for him of God. Hannah is saying that externally my quiet voice was not heard by other human beings, but God hearkened nonetheless to my inner turmoil. Hannah nurses her child for several years, and then when the child is weaned, she returns to the tabernacle and presents him to Ailey, making good on her promise. The mother takes the child for which she longed and announces that he is forever given back to the service of God. After bringing her offerings, she comes with Samuel to Ailey. Verse 26. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has given me my petition which I asked him. Therefore also I have presented him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be devoted to the Lord. One can only imagine what was going through Hannah's mind at this moment. And we would be wrong to assume that this scene has nothing to do with us. For we too, like Hannah, need to see all that we have, and especially our children, as gifts from God. 
and to be motivated by this realization to dedicate our children to God. Of course, unlike Hannah, we are not called to give our children to the temple or tabernacle, but we are nevertheless obligated to make manifest our recognition of the divine gift that is children by directing our children to live lives of sanctity. Immediately after the presentation of Samuel in the tabernacle, we are all of a sudden informed of another prayer offered by Hannah. Chapter 2, verse 1. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. Does Hannah say goodbye to Samuel? We know from later in the book that Hannah would visit her son year after year during her annual pilgrimage to Shiloh. Thus, the absolutely beautiful description in chapter 2, verse 19. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. But nothing is said about the manner of their first parting, of mother leaving her son at the tabernacle. We are only told, after the presentation of Samuel, of this second prayer of Hannah. But we have an imaginative depiction, perhaps, of their parting from Rembrandt, or perhaps from Rembrandt's studio, in a painting that is now in an Edinburgh museum. I'm telling you about this painting, ladies and gentlemen, because I know that if there is any complaint about the Bible 365 podcast, it is that there is not enough discussion of Rembrandt. The painting has taken to be a scene of Hannah in Shiloh teaching Samuel to pray. Rembrandt, I think, connects Hannah's bequeathing of her child to God at the tabernacle with the description of her prayer that follows. In an act of artistic midrash, Rembrandt, or perhaps his students, depict Samuel attempting to read from Hannah's book of prayers, as if to say that in offering one more prayer before she left the tabernacle, she was also teaching her son to pray. That, for this painting, was Hannah's form of goodbye. Of course, this midrash, as it were, is an anachronism. There were no prayer books in those days. But the point the artist is making is that even though Hannah will now have to say goodbye to her child, even though he will be lent to God, bequeathed to the divine, even though his mother will rarely see him, nevertheless, as long as Samuel knows how to pray as his mother did, as long as Hannah's prayers are on his lips, then he will always, always be her son. Hannah created or recreated prayer as we know it. And in the tabernacle, in this great act of love, she is shown teaching her son to pray as well. Thus in the painting, Rembrandt or his students teach us about prayer, but also about parenthood. Parents become parents for Judaism, not only in bringing children to this world, but also in teaching them how best to live, in carrying on the highest values we hold dear. None of us, thank God, is called to make Hannah's sacrifice to give up our child to serve in the tabernacle. But Jewish parents are asked to seek to ensure that our children know how to pray. And that is what Hannah is shown doing in this image. The person who expressed the paradigmatic Jewish prayer is, in this painting, recognizing the gift that is her child, teaches him in turn to pray, and thereby binds him to her forever. Of course, this painting is an exercise in imagination but it inspires us to ponder the story at the beginning of Samuel anew and to think about how we react to whatever blessings God has given us, what values we model for our posterity. The story of the prayers of Hannah is read by Jews around the world on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. 
And if we begin the period of repentance by reading of Hannah, it is because, in a sense, we are all her children. Hannah teaches us how to pray, and in imitating her example, she claims us all as her sons and daughters. Hannah remains the model, reminding us that in enunciating the words of the liturgy, ultimately it is the wellsprings of the heart, the true turning to God, that matters most. Several sources online, including Yochanan Gordon in the Five Towns Jewish Times, reports a tale told and personally experienced by a Belgian Jew named Fivel Shapiro. Many years ago, he came from Antwerp to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Alone with the Rebbe, he was handed by the spiritual leader a letter that the Rebbe had received years before, one written by a woman who was dying. The woman knew that she would leave young children without their mother, and she was writing the Rebbe to ask him to pray that God take care of her children, allow them to grow into sources of pride to their parent who was departing this world. Suddenly, Fival Shapiro realized that this letter was written by his own mother to the Rebbe because he had lost his mother as a child. His mother in this letter was referring to him. Overcome by emotion, Shapiro asked the Rebbe if he could keep this letter, for he had so few objects of this sublime sort from the mother that he had loved and lost. The Rebbe said no, that he, the Rebbe, wanted to keep Fival Shapiro's mother's letter for himself. Fival did not understand, after all. The Rebbe received letters from all over the world. The Rebbe explained, I need this letter, he explained, because I read it right before Kol Nidre, right before I go out to pray, and I cannot say Kol Nidre without reading your mother's letter. Chana is the mother of us all, whose story we must read as our repentance truly begins, because we cannot truly pray without reading of her. May we learn from Chana and all who model her example, and may the prayerful words of our lips, like those of Chana, express a clarion call in our hearts. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.